This is Raleigh Veteran Connect. So, you're a military veteran who still wants more in the next chapter. You're hungry for success, hungry for purpose, and hungry to launch. Hear real, local, and raw conversations for military veterans who want to take their lives to the next level in Raleigh, North Carolina. You'll be introduced to people, concepts, and opportunities that show you veteran transitions are continuous and often unconventional. And you'll learn why Raleigh, North Carolina is the best location in the United States to launch or grow your next chapter. Alicia Ramsey, former Signal Corps officer and founder slash co-captain of Glam Soldier, a badass boutique in Apex, North Carolina. Mom, wife, a reinventor of herself. I'm super happy to have Alicia because she represents not only what any veteran can do when they get out, but when people think of veterans, especially officers, they tend to put a picture of a, of a male in their mind. And Alicia is still continuing to hold the torch of you know, soldiers and, and spreading a, a lot of awareness about veterans through her businesses. So we were just talking all about her background and I wish I had it all captured already, but we're going to keep keep uh, going, talking about veterans and Glam Soldier, something that my wife would probably... Absolutely, wanna, you got to bring her in. ...want to come to. So Glam Soldier is a woman's boutique, but we're like the only boutique in town that sells ammo boxes and rhinestone jewelry. We <laughs> upcycle military... We bling it out, pimp it out. We have our own leather shop up the street, so we do handbags, hats, belts. You can come get a custom belt, custom hat. We cut up Louis Vuitton bags. Yes, we cut them up, and we upcycle them, actual Louis Vuitton bags. We do same with Chanel buttons, jewelry. We have a Stevie Nicks lounge. We have a rock star room. So it's really a unique boutique. We also sprinkle in vintage in what we do. So the name Glam Soldier actually came from our customers. We I started selling from my backyard during the pandemic in my building. I put the camera on myself and started selling. I, no one could shop, right, during the pandemic. So I had a whole container full of used consignment clothes and I started selling and I sold out. And then I needed more clothes. So I started buying out boutiques that were closing during the pandemic. And I sold those out, but then I was like, man, I want to sell my own style, my own clothes. So I started designing clothes and taking old military jackets and blinging them out and making my own handbags, my own leather handbags and stuff. And and then my customers were like, Alicia, I think you need to name this. So I thought about names, and I'm usually really good at names. This time I was completely stumped. I said, what about Hey Soldier? Because my first sergeant used to go up in your face and go, hey, soldier, why are you looking at me? <laughs> and and then the next, my customer on a live, she said, that's not glam enough. And the very next person said, what about glam soldier? And as soon as this, I still get chill bumps when they say the name. People come in our boutique now and they go, is this a franchise? And I go, will be one day. No, but it does sound, it's really, it epitomizes everything that I am and everything that our customers are. I believe you don't have to have served in the military to be a soldier. You can be a soldier for Christ. You can be a, a soldier in your own life. But it's just exciting to me that I was able to represent for all those soldiers out there and veterans who, like, 
at the end of their long day in BDUs, want to go feel like a woman again, want to get dressed up. I remember being in Germany. I, I couldn't wait till the end of my day if I wasn't deployed or doing missions and like being able to go downtown Germany before the doors closed of the boutiques and like actually put on women clothes and feel like a woman again. And, and that really is what Glam Soldier is about. So. That's awesome. So I want to dive into business ownership, your experience, all that kind of stuff. But before we do, tell me about your Stevie Nicks room. So Stevie Nicks just became like the, gosh, she just is like present in everything we do. We listen to Stevie. We listen to classic rock when you come up to my store. And Stevie Nicks, if you look at her, her imagery, it wasn't just about her amazing voice, her vocals and her lyrics and as lead singer of Fleetwood Mac, but it was also about her accessories. Like she knew how to put stuff together and make a statement. And I think that's why people want to wear her on their t-shirts, which it wasn't about the leotard and jeans she wore, but it was the top hat she put on, right? It wasn't about the black dress she wore, but it was about that sheer cape that she would have flowy. So the Stevie Nicks lounge is filled with a sequin central area, dusters, kimonos, wraps, accessories, hats, handbags, things that really make a statement. It's fun. So you were telling me earlier that you're selling the three generations of women, right? Yes. Like, it wasn't intended. We just, like young girls, their moms and grandmas will all come in. And I promise you, a 72-year-old will walk out with our reversible sandals in the summertime. The 13-year-old will wear a crop band t-shirt. And the mom will buy a duster or kimono or one of our Wings of Glory jackets. Like, it happens. It's amazing. So, when... When Laura, my wife, when she drags me out to go shopping with her and we go to Nordstrom or whatever, something like that, there's always a spot yeah. where the dude hangs out. We have many of those spots. So tell me about the place where the dude hangs out. And and okay. I'm envisioning like yes. I can actually hang out here Yes. versus sitting there. No, you'll love it. To, you know, just. So we're on a second level of downtown Salem Street on a in Apex. Right. So it's like a it's like an Andy Griffith show. The downtown is so dang, so dang cute. We're right next to the antique store. So you walk up 25 steps to happiness. That's what we call them. <laughs> and you land and as you're walking up, you will first see the largest combat boot you've ever seen. That's actually historically correct black proper combat boot that is bigger than my entire pregnant body right now. It's so massive. So you'll see this combat boot and then every stair has an ammo box as you walk up. So you're already feeling like, what is this place? Like Glam Soldier. You crest the top of the stairs, we greet you. There are places to sit, lounge, hang out. And we also offer all of our guy patrons a beer. We had one customer I say, there was yeah, there's alcohol involved. Yeah, he said, if you have beer, I'm here. Dudes love our store, and they actually come and buy their their significant others or their daughters gift certificates because they just feel a sense of, like, we're veteran-owned, but we also give back to vets, and we also cater to the whole family. So dudes love our store. It's amazing. The only thing that I can think of, you're probably going to hate this comparison, is, like, going That's to, like, right. a Urban Outfitters or something like that. Like, well, Urban Outfitters actually, you know – probably way back in the day did start somewhere along the lines of where we are but right. what we try to do is we do a lot of upcycling we do include vintage and 
in what we do because it's street, it's history. So like I sell like cufflinks that are old Navy cufflinks or like old Signal Corps hats and caps. I have a, on the dog that greets you at the top of our stairs, I have an old World War II Marine Corps drill sergeant hat on the dog. Like we do legit stuff. I have a right. World War banner at the top of the stairs. So we pay homage to military and everything we do. There's old photographs everywhere. So in some respects, I guess Urban Outfitters would be irrelevant. What would be relevant, what they do is they take like vintage and then they remake it, right? Mm -hmm. Modern day. So when we try to remake our stuff, we either A, make it ourselves, or B, we try to first find a supplier in the USA, which mm -hmm. is really important to what we do. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so You don't always win that way. I have to be honest. The margins are completely right. different, but to, we do that. Yeah. I work with, with a small startup and some of the supplier stuff, we try to buy as much American as we can. And we've been forced into Southeast Asia or China on a couple of items that were just, it's crushing, but you just can't. Otherwise, your business just, you won't be in business. But your journey to get to that point, to where, I mean, you've been running your business for 18 months, almost two years. Um, right? A year and five months. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Your journey to get there. Right. Is, it hasn't been immediate. Oh, no. What year did we separated it from the military about the same time? Yeah, around 2007. Yeah, so I, yeah. same thing. Two, the, yeah. Like the end, very end of 2007 is when I got out. So we're like the same age, same time frame. Um, you did command time, though. I started enlisted, so I was a bit behind, but I, I was still a captain when I got out, but yeah. Yeah, got yeah. it. Yeah. I've known you through this genre of life, has been your world since you left. I mean, being a creator, creator being creative. a designer and a creator is definitely who I am. So my path to business ownership did have a very unique twist, I guess you can say, or journey, when which I were, don't mind talking about. So you can when, ask me. When you were um, well, in the Army, you were in the Signal Corps. Yes. And you got into some kind of like broadcast kind of stuff. Yes, right? I actually... When I was enlisted, I was a journalist and broadcast for the Army. So I carried a camera, a tripod in one hand, and an M16 in the other. And that's what I did. So public affairs, t telling the Reuters and the press where to go, where to get their stories. And then I'd also film my own stories for the Army. But then when I transitioned to Signal Corps, I found out quickly communications as an officer means a very different thing. Um, <laughs> I found myself in the middle of Grafenwehr, Germany with big Mickey Mouse ear antennas and teams full of tropospheric scattering radar folks. So I did a lot of tactical signal stuff. But then like a colonel in Iraq, for example, would catch wind that I had prior broadcast experience and then they would send for me. So literally I was in Dogwood, which was just like a temporary location that we mapped out when we entered Iraq. That was in southern Iraq. Yeah, like, that was like, that early north, days. Like north of Nasiriyah or something? Yes, that was very early I on. stopped at Dogwood. Yeah, so they came and it got me. It was like me. a refueling point for yeah. convoys and yeah, stuff. Yeah, it was yeah, crazy. Yeah. So Colonel got wind, and he was colonel of a brigade, though. Like, he was a colonel at the time, but he in charge of the entire Signal Corps brigade caught wind that I was public affairs and literally sent Lieutenant Colonel and some folks down to get me. I'd never met any of them. And they whisked me away in the middle of the night. 
like, well, it was five in the morning. And they took me to the palace <laughs> at Camp Victory. <laughs> and, and the colonel sat me down in his office and painted this picture of telling the Signal Corps story and how I was going to lead the charge on this whole telling of the story. It's going to be the largest tactical signal network in Army history, and we needed to document it, and I needed to fly with them to all these places and do all this soldier meet and greets with soldiers and stuff. So literally, I got pulled from my platoon to do all this stuff. And it was a tremendous experience. I remember just driving onto Camp Victory Palace and like seeing flaming cars. The cars were still on fire. Ponds were still full of dead fish. This was right. like early days. So it was like, whoa, what am I doing? And I said, where's my team, sir? And he's like, yeah, you're it. And that E6 out there. <laughs> and so we became fast friends. So that's where my broadcast story began as an officer and really carried me through, even though I did have a couple more platoons and did go back to Iraq again. I always tried to dabble with my creative because I found that finding other things to do while you were already a busy soldier really fulfilled me from a design <laughs> and creator experience. And so that's what got me through. So you, a lot of people connected to Raleigh Veteran Connect are at inflection points, right? They're at, they're getting out, trying to figure out what they want to do. They're changing careers, realizing I'm in the wrong place. Um, there is a lot of maneuvering when you get out. Like it right. is and not it, a straight, yeah. And, and it continues. One of, one of the things I tell folks all the time is transition is not a, a, a one-time activity. It's a lifelong event after the military. And... I've been transitioning Pete for 14 years. What I've re even realized more lately is that being a veteran and transitioning isn't unique to veterans. I was It's true. I was talking to somebody That's the other a day. Good. and maybe in some ways we almost have a leg up in in some ways because we can create this community around each other and use each other things like Raleigh Veteran Connect or VSOs or even going to Glam yes. Soldier and meeting yes. you versus the folks that were my peers in the executive or in the corporate space and maybe they've been in the corporate world, whatever it might be, IT, pharma, finance, for 10 years. And they go, man, I don't know if I'm in the right spot. We have all transitioned throughout our time in the military and then even right when we get out, so we have a little bit of it's still scary. It, you but do, but it's still, it's still, you're still starting from square one when you get out. Yeah. And that whole dynamic of, will the civilian world accept me for who I am post being military? Because you does, the military does change you. Right. Absolutely. Especially being a female and, and having a female team at my store. The way I talk to people, the way I communicate, it all comes from a place of she used to be military. She used to be military. Do you feel like you're constantly branded in that? Yeah, I think I that... Mean, obviously, your store is branded that way, but... Yeah, it, it is, but... And I'm totally, like, such a softy, and, and I love people so much, so I'm not like a... Um, I, ha I do have some Marine customers that come in, former Marine females, and it's hilarious because I can totally see their demeanor compared to me. And you don't want to stereotype, but they really fit that stereotype. <laughs> so I've had to like really remind myself, and it's been 14 years, but just the way you communicate with people is different. So will people accept me? Your jargon is different. Everything's different. Yeah, the transition so did, experience is cool. So it's what, different. Did, what did you decide was, was your path? Right All on? right. So I'm going to make the beginning fast because it's boring and it's like horrible. Yeah. And it's horrible. Actually, you know what? I'm going to be brutally honest. Okay, here's what happened. I went to a recruiter. There's three main services when you get out. Right. 
that they Camera recruit. Yes, they, yes. And I went through one, and I didn't fit the bill of many because they want to move you all over the country, and you don't really get to choose. I wanted to stay in California, so I chose E&J Gallo Winery. I started working on the wine floor production. I was, like, in charge of two and a half million cases of wine and 65 employees, most of who, oh, a month, two and a half million cases of wine a month. Most of the employees <laughs> were had been there longer than I was old, so it was crazy. It was a 12-plus-hour 12, 12 day. I commuted an hour each way. So it was like a 14-hour day for me, which isn't tough, but when you didn't like what you did. So I didn't like what I did. I didn't like being there. I didn't like it. I'm a very much creator. I didn't I, I can remember falling asleep on the way home while driving. I remember one not one day though, literally having this conversation with yourself, with myself. Why am I here on the planet? What the F am I doing? And I need to change something because having this conversation in your thoughts is a clear indicator that you are going down the wrong path and you need to change. Mm -hmm. And I gave up a pretty lucrative salary because I was a paid empl salary employee. I did not make hourly. I gave up close to $100,000 you know, a year and just said goodbye. Before I could do that, though, it was like a Christmas break. I took one extra day leave that I shouldn't have taken, and they fired me. So, like, I not only was going to quit, but I actually got fired. Now, as a military person, full of integrity and honesty and, like, duty and all of your values, to be fired feels like it's soul-crushing, Right. It, it is so demeaning and embarrassing, and I don't think I've ever told anyone on a podcast or any interview that I was fired, <laughs> well, I, I, but I was completely fired. I was canned, which didn't mean anything. I wasn't getting severance anyway, but so I left after nine months. I literally lasted at that job nine months, and I hope you guys who get recruited into a position and feel stuck because the money's so good, like really hear me when I tell you when you have these conversations with yourself, like it can get really serious, like parking lot in a car with a gun serious like you there there's there are veterans every day committing suicide because maybe they transitioned out and just didn't feel like they fit and while I wasn't there I just had a conversation with myself in the car I was I listened to it and so listen so that's the point with telling you that story so then I go to Fort Living Room I'm sitting on my couch and like trying to figure out literally figure out my next move and I know how to shoot and I know how to edit. So I go back to these skills that I had honed during my time in the service. And I go, oh, that stuff made me happy. But this is pre-YouTube and all this stuff was early. So, well, I say pre-YouTube. It existed, but it was still early. And I, so I started, like, filming people having babies and, like, doing little videos and stuff. And I, I called it Tribute DVD. And I... And Posh Babies, because, I don't know, that's just the name I came up with. And I started doing tribute videos. So if people would pass away, like, I'd do the video montage and I'd take all their memories and set it to music and whatever. And I wasn't making, like, hardly any money. And I knew I had to transition that business. At the same time, I was married at the time. And we transitioned to another state because I was in California, didn't want to be there after losing my mom passed away and then getting fired so I was like this place is horrible and it was like a housing crash like it was just a bad time so I we picked up everything and I literally drove my car across the country 
And once here, I knew no one. I knew zero people, zero business people. So I started going to networking groups, networking meetings, and still had, at this point, I think I changed the name to Triangle um, TV or something. And then shortly after that became Tell Your Vision. So I built a video production company that shot, we shoot, edit, and produce videos for companies because that's where the money is. I soon learned that individuals paying you to do tribute videos was not going (laughs) to pay the bills. So I started doing videos. And over the course of 12 years, that was a rocky and challenging, but I did make it. I felt like I really did succeed in some respects. In one respect, like customers like Cisco and Microsoft and even Hunter Rowe back in the day when right. it was Mike's. Yeah. Hunter um, Rowe is, is the firm that is that the I firm work that, for. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. yeah, as a real estate agent. So and I did videos. In Hunter Rowe office. Yeah. So I did videos for the business that Pete works for. And, and I'm proud to have done mm-hmm. that. But anyway, so I started doing that. And I got up to, I don't like to talk facts and figures a whole lot, but I felt like making 20 plus thousand dollars a month doing what I was doing was making it. And, but the thing that I did wrong in building that business was I didn't build a business. I built a freelance business, which meant when I didn't work, nobody worked, which means I didn't make money. So I'd go out and find the people. I'd find the contracts. I'd have people sign the contracts. I would go shoot it. I'd edit. I'd produce it. I got so burnt out, Pete, that I couldn't even look at a computer. And to this day, I can hardly look at an editing machine. I got so burnt out after those 12 years. But at that point in time, that's, I mean, that's super yeah, critical it, to, it, to think you, about, yeah. right? When, you need a team. And yeah. in a creative business, finding a team was super hard. So even in my business, right? Yeah. Like when you are growing a business, when especially veterans who haven't done, built the business, think about relying. Maybe during those 12 years, you started thinking about, wait a minute. How did I do stuff in the military? Or how did things run in the military? Like You had a team. You had a team. And everybody has their role. And I don't know about you, but I would tell anybody who I met who was new in my platoon or company or unit, whatever it was, we just have different jobs. They're all equally important. But I need you as much as you need Everybody me. provides we, value. Everybody's providing value. And I just get paid differently, honestly, because my job is different. Not because it's more important, but other people see that as a, but I have to get paid more for it. So that's it. Like we're on the same level as far as importance. And uh, where balls get dropped. Yeah. In yeah, my yeah. case, and a lot of balls got dropped. You, know, you think about and it like was horrible businesses that people want to start when they get out of the military. Oh, should I go start a franchise or should I? I want to start a business and I talk a lot about service businesses or product-based businesses and some differences and margins and that that kind of stuff with veterans. But you bring up a really good point about starting a business and versus not a business. I don't know what you want to call it, but if you're creating a business, you're creating a couple of things. You're creating value that can transcend and either continue to make money or create value in the business. So if I'm gonna own a business, I either wanna make a whole lot of cash month over month to make it worthwhile, and maybe I won't be able to sell it, but I've made enough cash that 10 years, 15 years down the road, okay, I've made enough cash that I took enough and invested it elsewhere that I'm okay. Or I wanna create a business that I can sell or scale or whatever it might be 
so that there's value in that business down the road. That's outside of the idea of, okay, you're doing something that you're passionate about too. You know what I mean? I've always put the passion in the forefront of my decisions. That ha- That's not the most lucrative path. For example, P- I love houses. I can flip a house. I know how to in- do an interior design. I know how to go and tear down walls and I know what to do. But I didn't choose real estate, did I? I chose my creative. And so it's not the fastest path to cash and it's not the easiest path to cash, but it fulfills something in your soul. And so these are decisions like that are serious contemplation. Like when you sit down with a huge whiteboard and you're deciding what type of business you want to start, like is cash the most important thing to you? Is your path to cash the most important thing to you? I have friends pulling in 500, a million dollars in real estate a year. Personally, that's their cut. And just made like Success Magazines, top 125, whatever. And I'm not there, Pete. Like I, all my money goes to my team, my staff, my inventory, my products. And I have earned money from my business yet, but I'm I am building it to scale and I am investing. We are going to probably franchise Glam Soldier out in the future and do things like that. So I do see that as a great means to an end. We did have a great successful first year. So that was awesome. We have diehard customers, which is fantastic. It is fulfilling something in my soul. That's where it's at right now. It's fulfilling something in my soul. And so if you don't have a lot of cash to start with, like you need to build up that nest egg before you go for the passion project to scale versus making cash now. And mm-hmm. that that is a big decision because you're going to either suck it up buttercup in a job that's like somewhat passion and you, but you make a lot of money and do that for a bit and even do it into starting your next move. But that cash is so crucial to your success that if you don't have that nest egg from the military, you, if you didn't build that up or if you you didn't retire, like you have got to go there and suck it up buttercup for a while. And experience. Yeah. Like you're, you've been out of the military, right, 14 years. And from our conversations, I could probably say that your current business is your most passionate business. And Wait, well, actually, no. The business, so when I finished Tell Your Vision, I was burnt out. I started a passion project called AM Raleigh. It was a talk show because I'm really passionate about interviewing people and telling their stories, just right. like what you're doing on this podcast. And, uh, and I crashed and burned on that project. I partnered with the wrong person. It was a complete hustler. I overextended. I used all my cash that I was making in one business to fund the next business. And the next business, I partnered with the wrong person. I, from the foundation, it just, it wasn't the right, it wasn't God's timing. I'm, I chalk it up to that, whatever. Wasn't God's timing. But when you start a passion project that you're diehard in, and I was all in in this thing, and you crash and burn, again, I felt like I had to reinvent myself, completely pick myself up, and completely start over. And when you come from a successful military career and then somewhat successful personal business, and then your third venture, you completely crash and burn and lose everything. That's where I was at in 2016. That's tough. I crashed and burned so hard. I felt like I was running straight into a brick wall, and I hit it, and I let everyone around me down. I let myself down. I let my three investors down. I let 
all the people that I wanted to interview down. I, I saw this vision for what I was about to do and it died. And, and then that's when I literally had some conversations with God on the kitchen floor, screaming at God, is this what you have planned for me in my life? Like, serious. When I say I've been there, I've done that, I really have hit the ground. And sometimes it requires you just like kneeling on the ground and like looking up and realizing, scream at God, be angry, tell God what you want. Maybe that's your path to figuring it out. And for me, it was. I started listening to my true self and started finding my joy again. And and I think that's what led me to Glam Soldier, just like picking up and starting from nothing. Can you imagine in 2000, when the pandemic hit, I was literally in my backyard, literally in the place I had built a talk show set studio. And they told me you can't have anybody over because it's a pandemic. I had just rebuilt this business again in my backyard. And I then couldn't have anyone over. And I was like, okay, God, something is telling me like this isn't it either. So I just literally put the camera on myself and started selling clothing. You want to talk about humble pie? That's where this business began. Humble pie and a realization that, yeah, that it's you, you just got to keep moving as a veteran. You can't stop and slow down and wallow. And, and that's not what we're made of anyway. What we were talking a little earlier about the, the idea that in the military we're, we are we're geared to win. We are our government, our country, everybody behind us expects that we're going to win. And we laugh about military-grade equipment and think if only people knew that what military-grade really was. But all in all, we're still geared to win. We're still prepared never to lose. And that mentality follows you when you leave the military. So when you do fail, it can be soul-crushing. And I think it's really important for veterans especially to know that's a real possibility. It's okay. And it's really okay. It really is. And I had, I met with some friends of mine, some army buddies of mine back in in December. We met at the the army Navy game, hadn't seen each other in probably 14 years and picked up in a second where we left off and late night conversations over beers and the common theme among three, three, combat veterans, geared to win, alpha male kind of guys, was we've all had massive failures. And we probably wouldn't share those failures with anybody but each other. Yeah, I did feel at that point like I had no, I wasn't going to go share with any colleagues. I wasn't going to go share with any civilians. My mom had died. I was literally on my knees. Like the only person I could scream it to is God at that point. Even my, my, he was my boyfriend at the time. And I was going through all this behind closed doors. Like he really, I couldn't let him see me breaking down like completely broken woman. I was in love with this guy. If you have that network now, keep it because those relationships you will fall back on. Right. Those military relationships you will fall back on. And if you don't have it, what I realized in, in the reason why I created Raleigh Veteran Connect was not so that I could do something like for myself. There's no money in it. I don't even have a nonprofit set up. Like I don't have any way other than if you want to give me money to pay for some beers at for a networking event, do it. But like there's perp- there's a reason for that, right? 
because there's so many people out there that are making money on the backs of veterans and they might have the greatest intentions in the world to help them get certifications or find a path or write a resume and they're providing good value but at the end of the day like the what's really important is being able to connect with people and people that are going to give you no bullshit information and share their experience with you and it's share everything. and share their knowledge it's with you everything. It's gonna, no bullshit information is everything yeah, I don't need to hear it from a recruiter yeah. I don't need to hear it from somebody who has a vested interest in me getting a PMP that says getting being a project manager is end all be all I have a PMP I have an MBA I was a project manager of global projects for 10 years I can tell you so if that's what you want to do great but like it's important to have the network that can say hey this is what you're going to walk into and you should be prepared for these great things that can happen but you should also be prepared for these things that might not be so great or might change your perspective on those great things and might take your path another direction yeah and that transition is continuous and it's okay and we're veterans are often very loyal. I've had friends and veterans tell me, I'm not going to leave this company for X amount of time, or I feel like I owe it to them for another two years. You don't owe it to anybody. Anybody crap. You owe it to yourself. You do. You have to fulfill your, you have to fulfill your soul. Your, you have to fulfill your heart and you have to listen to your gut. And I think you're going to constantly transition and you're going to constantly rise and fall. But if you don't listen to your gut to tell you when time's time and when time is up and you just focus on the dollars or you focus on this loyalty thing that you think you owe it to people, that's not a win either because then you're you're miserable for your family, miserable when you go home, you might start drinking, might start doing whatever you're doing and you have got to listen to your damn gut. When you're on the battlefield, you listen to your gut, your, your instincts. Turn your head this way at this moment in time. You don't know why you did, but then you did, and it saved your life or saved a buddy's life. Like You have to listen to that when you're in the civilian world, and you have to listen to that no matter who you're working for, no matter how much money you have in the bank. And that is what has saved me. Listening to my gut has literally saved me, changed my life, and I think... I call it God because your gut is an instinctual thing. And the, the more you listen to it, the louder the voice gets. And you can always shift and maneuver. And I think shifting and maneuvering is key too. I don't know. Life is just crazy, isn't it, Pete? Just... So you're one of the things I wanted to delve into yeah. is being a, a woman, being a female veteran. And you alluded to it earlier a little bit about people coming into the store and how they interact with you. Or they might think, oh, she's... None of them think I'm military right now because of my big pregnancy. (laughs) (laughs) I say I'm building an army now. But even like back to, what is it? Is it E&J, wine? But even back to then, like the perspective of a veteran. And even I'm guilty of like when I think of veterans and I think of, I'm an infantry guy. So I just think of all my infantry buddies. But like, if I think like that, what does everybody out in the street think? And so when you show up and you are either in broadcasting or telling somebody's story or or now you're essentially running a, a fashion boutique, like there's worlds that are just colliding. So Well, people are very welcoming, first of all, and they're always thanking me for my service. But I tell people when they thank me for my service, 
I say, I thank you for thanking me for my service on behalf of all the people who never heard it. And that is the Vietnam era soldiers who came back and were shunned. And I say, that's who I say thank you for, because I've actually had a great service. I've had great support. I had a lot of female commanders who served alongside me who were just role models through and through. In fact, the person who got me to become an officer in Hawaii is a female who now lives in Raleigh and was just at my baby shower last week. Like, she she took one look at me and said, you're not going to be a sergeant, Alicia. You're going to be an officer. I already made the appointment for you. So the the military today, Pete, looks so much different as you, than 20, 30, 40 years ago. But there have always been amazing females serving in the Army, and I was privileged to serve among some of the most amazing. And I had only a couple scary experiences in terms of being harassed or being in danger. I remember when I was in basic training, they actually sent sexual harassment, like they sent the Secretary of Defense and some folks to, I was serving KP duty that time. So I remember serving in fish. Don't ask me why that's such a memory. To the secretary of the army. <laughs> yeah. And all the top leadership at the time, because they were studying like basic training and sexual harassment. And I actually did have a fellow private at the time. She ended up marrying one of the drill sergeants during our two week leave. And you're just like, how on earth did they make that happen? I am, I'm not even getting any sleep. Like I'm hiking and in foxholes all day. What were you like? What were you doing? So you hear stories and, and stuff, but none of it really affected me. I was a soldier. That's what I did. Head down, going to the range, going on hikes, bivouacs, whatever it took to get through it and to excel at it. I've always been the type of person who's very competitive, and I always wanted to be the best at what I did, whether it was running in in formations or just competing in physical stuff or just being a soldier. So I never really looked at myself as like a female soldier. I always just wanted to be the best me that I possibly could. I appreciate that and, perspective yeah. quite a bit. Like that's, yeah. I think that's a lot of us have, a lot of men have the pers- that perspective, and even in today's world. You know, I, my wife is a very successful leader in, in, in the corporate world, and she would be one to tell you, look, I've never thought of myself as a woman, just I've thought of myself as a capable person, and I'm gonna excel in this environment, and she has. And that's my frame of reference. The yeah. only people I felt sorry for in basic training were the females who were like five foot one and below. <laughs> because the things we had to do to climb were just not made for a four foot 11 person. That is the only time I felt sorry for a female in the military. Other than that, the M4, M16, you can carry that, fire that's not gonna kick you in the shoulder bad enough. And my dad taught me how to fire a weapon when I was like 10 years old, I remember shooting a bird for the first time out of a tree, feeling horrible about it, and swore I'd never do it again. So I joined the army. No, but yeah, so I never looked at myself as a female. Having said that, the one story I will tell you, because some people may relate to this, I was in Iraq. I was in a container. That's what the officers were living in side by side with your soldiers. I was by myself in my container. I had somebody middle of the night banging on my door, reciting like psycho babble to me 
about how professing their love to me and literally for 45 minutes to the point that I just knew this person wasn't straight and I couldn't call for help because we had no communications inside the containers. So literally banging my weapon on the wall of my, and he could have a weapon pointed at the door at me. So it was, it was a crazy situation. It was like 45 minutes. I finally, and all the people around me were on leave. So like finally one of my soldiers went for a smoke break in the middle of the night and heard and was like, ma'am, are you okay? I said, take his bolt, take his weapon, go get the first sergeant. Like it was scary because I'm in a container and an M249 especially, but any weapon can go right through, blast right through these little container walls and doors and a window. I had one window. So I was harassed at that point. Turns out guy was, they found all this cough medicine and like he had fraternizing with other foreign soldiers. So had access to beverages and um, drugs and stuff and was completely off his rocker. Next day he didn't even remember he did it like so you know stuff like that does happen but again I've always kept my head down hair tucked up never like showboated took crazy pictures on the internet or put things on social media even though I'm a total girl I'm a total I love to dress up and stuff it's like when you're serving you're just you're serving and I like to think of myself as still a service member and I'm still serving and so people are a little shocked when they come in my store and they point, oh, yeah, she's a veteran. And they are taken back a little bit because I don't look like a soldier these days. But my service state of mind exists in everything that I do in my business and our integrity and our heart and our sacrifice in what we do for other veteran organizations is still there. So I like to say that in your transition, when you're transitioning, that you're still serving. You're just serving in a different capacity. So don't discount the fact that you're not a soldier anymore or a police officer or firefighter. Don't discount the fact that you're not still serving and talking about your story and sharing the honest-to-goodness truth right down to whether you're fired or canned, couldn't take that hack, couldn't take that next transitional move. Don't feel ashamed of it. Just keep your head down, keep charging on, keep learning, keep doing, and keep believing in yourself because you're going to be service to others in the civilian world just as much or just as great, especially if you open up and share your story. Well, there's a responsibility that I think we all have. It it doesn't have to be on a podcast. It doesn't have to be creating a, a group. It doesn't have to be... anything monumental but I think passing the torch to the next person sharing your experience with somebody else you don't even have to give them an advice just sharing your story to other veterans helps other people connect ideas and thoughts and maybe the trigger that they need to help make a decision in their life or it's just like teaching right when you teach something, you tend to learn something when you teach. When you share your story, you start to see yourself in the mirror. And you go, aha, I see what my path could be just by sharing. And when you're sitting in your car after you get fired or you fail or your business collapses. I've had all three of those. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Is It's those moments 
that I think are really important to share because we see a lot of veterans that are successful. Those are the ones you read about. That's what you read about. It's just like anything else, right? You're going to read about the successful veteran that got out and created this business or in three years found themselves after they get into Duke MBA program and meet somebody and they have this startup and it launches and it's just this wonderful thing and it's all because they're a veteran or they go to a company and and in six years they're a partner in the company and they're making all this money and you see all these things that that you're, okay how do I get there and if you don't and if you're not there and you fail when you're seeing those things, that's what drives you into the into that darkness. And, and what picks you up? Who picks you up? Yeah, each other. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what's important. Is That's the exact reason why Raleigh Veteran Connect is around. It's not just for those dark, super dark moments, but maybe to help avoid them, to try to help you understand, like, different paths and different people and connections and it's it happens for me every single day it's amazing uh, the opportunities that come to me today just because i keep my business is, is connecting is is networking is meeting more people you're really good at connecting so, you, you keep your door open to the connection <clears throat> process and i think because of that, it flows towards you it's like the secret people talk about what well, is the secret but but it's also like this constant go-giver attitude of constantly wanting to connect people with other people that, that might be relevant. Like you may have met someone in your path who definitely need be talked about when you're with another friend because those two people need to meet it has nothing to do with you in selling a house. I right. think it's that, that which fulfills you. So if you're constantly doing that for others, it's going to come back to you as well yeah. in ways you, you wouldn't have designed. And, and you don't do it for that reason. But I think, I think we yearn for a connection. And um, when people come into my boutique and they, they want to talk shop, which they always want to talk war stories. I have Vietnam veterans coming in. I have World War. I've had a World War veteran come in my door. They're obviously um, not going to climb my 25 steps to right, happiness, right. very many of them. I have a ton of veterans who served alongside me coming, and they all want to talk they all want to talk about the good old days. They want to talk about the time in the military. And I always welcome it because I, I, it brings you back and it humbles you and it, it reminds you like, yeah, I was, I was a warrior once and young, but <laughs> I still am. It's still that fight is still in you. And, and it's okay to be a civilian these days. It's okay to fail these days. Like you are going to, you, you will pick yourself back up and you will march on and you'll be all right. And I think, God, if I could tell anybody who's just in a dark place, I don't know why I'm feeling like somebody needs to hear this right now, but like there, there are times all you can do is look up. So I just want to say I'm here for y'all and um, y'all can reach out to me anytime. And if you want to come talk shop, have a beer in my shop or, or just you need someone to talk to, just reach out. Well, Alicia Ramsey, Glam Soldier, Apex, North Carolina. And warrior, we'll start that at the top. <laughs> warrior, and uh, soon to be a mom of two, like within four days. So picture that she's she is giving her time, and in four days she's gonna do something that I would never, ever, ever envision myself being able to do. We're growing our army here. Yeah, we're having a little boy this time on Monday. So yeah. welcome to the boy club. 
I know. I'm excited. But yeah, thanks for, for joining us. And, Thank you uh, for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. I think what you provide and what you share is super valuable for veterans, especially veterans moving to Raleigh. And I can't wait to meet more people in this group, yeah. honestly. Well, we've got uh, every month we have at least one event planned. So Raleigh Veteran Connect on LinkedIn <gasps> is where you can find us. And uh, yeah, at least one once a month. I just thought maybe we should host one at my shop. We have a high craft brewery right next door. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. As a post-9-11 Army veteran, your host and local real estate expert, Pete Marston, is one of the most connected veterans in Raleigh. He leverages his, well, let's just say, unique network to introduce you to people, concepts, and opportunities you aren't likely to find anywhere else. If you're a veteran currently living in Raleigh, considering the area for opportunities, or looking for inspiration in your veteran transition journey, Raleigh Veteran Connect is for you. It's real, it's local, and it's raw.